Hockey Podcast. I'm your host Jason, and once again we have another special guest, uh, Jeff Jones, with me. So, Jeff, thanks for uh, coming on. Jason, thank you for having me. I'm happy to do it. Do it. So, um, we're doing our season wrap up as uh, this podcast is labeled. So, uh, I guess let's just get your thoughts on the kind of the last, let's say, handful of games. The Blues went on a run, um, and then they uh, didn't. Uh, two points in the last six games. Uh, the infamous blown uh, lead against Chicago. Uh, I kind of said they ran out of gas in the Colorado game. You can kind of just tell from the get-go. They just weren't really into that game. Yeah. They just they burned. They put everything into that game in Chicago the night before. And uh, I just think the depth and everything, I mean, mind you, I caught up to them months ago, but I think officially just doomed them in that game. Yeah, the, uh, the Colorado game is frustrating because, you know, obviously that Chicago game on Wednesday is so bad. Uh, it ends up being such kind of a weird microcosm of the season in that the team did not play great for that entire game. There were patches where they weren't really uh, weren't really playing up to their ability, but but primarily uh, Jake Allen yucked up that game uh, on that Wednesday night against Chicago. It was just I mean it was just unfathomably bad in that game and put them in a position where you know while maybe the uh, maybe maybe the, the Friday night game in Chicago didn't mean a whole lot standings wise. You do sort of wonder if they had poured a lot of their energy and their emotion into that game uh, to, to sort of, you know, to make up for Wednesday and it's a road game in Chicago. And that may be put up in a spot where, uh, where Saturday, you know, you're playing a back to back, you're playing at altitude and you're playing against a team uh, that obviously wanted it. And they just, they were never in that game. Yeah. I mean, uh, Jake Allen on the Colorado game for all intents and purposes played pretty decent. Um, yeah, the Chicago game. Unfortunately, that was still leaving a bad taste, and I think a lot of Blues fans' mouths where uh, a lot I'll, of people couldn't get over it. I think I'll say this about about Jake in the Colorado game. Uh, you know, the McKinnon goal. I don't think it was great, but you put one of the best players in the NHL on the ice from there. Uh, he's going to score pretty frequently. The thing that that blows my mind uh, about that game is that. The reason that Jake Allen started that game is because the coaching staff believed he was the team's best option in that. Whether or not you agree with them, that's what they believe. If that is the case, leaving him in the game when he is clearly and visibly injured, mm-hmm. to me, makes no sense. Because the best case scenario, then, is that you get through that game with a goaltender who is compromised, who you then maybe wouldn't have had for the start of the playoffs because you left him in to play on a bum hamstring or potentially, you know, make an injury worse Uh, that, you know, it ended up in, in in the course of that game, not mattering. He didn't allow another goal after, after being hurt, but that was, uh, that was hard to watch. And and that was one that I, that I pretty strongly disagreed with. Yeah, that was uh, interesting. Uh, After the game, I think uh, Allen was the one that said he wanted to stay in, but at the end of the day, you always can't listen to the player because of course the player player always wants to stay in. Yeah, I mean, these guys with like I mean, broken legs sometimes will sit there and try to get out of a game, but well, we you have to do with the team. Well, it's going to be good if you plan on making the playoffs. Like you said, you have to go with your best option if what you believe is the best option, even though Blues fans might have thought it was Carter Hutton. Right. Know, 
I mean, we, you, we talk about players always wanting to stay in. Joel Edmondson has like a six inch titanium rod in his arm and tried to stay in that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, like got to the bench and was like flexing his hand and trying to see if he can get the feeling back into his forearm. And that's when he saw all the blood and went, Oh, maybe I probably ought to get out of this game. Yeah. So, uh, so a disappointing season, one point out of the playoffs, uh, the blues finish, um, they get the, the 14th, I guess, that worst, best chances, we're going to call it, for getting a top pick. Uh, they have a 1.5% chance of getting the number one overall pick and a 3% chance, according to my notes here, uh, for a top three pick. Um, Philly did it last year. You never know, I guess, but I'm not holding my breath for that. Well, I think all didn't all three teams that won the lottery last year hopped up pretty high because it was it was uh, New Jersey, Dallas, and Philadelphia. I don't think either of those any of those three were were in the bottom. I think I think Dallas also jumped up pretty high. Yeah, uh, I, mean, I know. I know uh, New Jersey was they were. I think they just missed the playoffs barely last year, and they wound up getting the top pick. So yeah, no, it's it's mathematically not very likely uh, that the Blues will end up with the pick in the top three, but. You know, I guess there's a possibility. We'll find out here. Uh, I believe drawing is two weeks from this Sunday is when they uh, is when they draw that. So uh, we'll see. I guess. Look, I mean, if you're the Blues, I think you sort of you're you're, you're hanging your hat on that right now uh, because the next few weeks there's not a lot else to look forward to, really. Yeah, unfortunately. So the Blues go into the off season, have the big season-ending press conference, clean out the lockers. Um, I don't know what some Blues fans were expecting out of this. Uh, I was kind of, I thought it was kind of funny going through Twitter and Facebook, just seeing how people were like, oh, why do you say he's endorsing Allen and this, that, and that? And I'm like, of course the GM is not going to throw anybody under the bus right now. Right. Uh, he's not going to throw the coach under the bus who's literally two feet to his left. Um, I thought it was interesting. The only thing I really of interest was how Terrence Nichols' health was, in my opinion. And unfortunately, yeah. he has to be. Uh, separated shoulder, which was interesting. He said it was like uh, Sanford and Berglund's. But I think you pointed this out, and I went back and actually, because your tweet went back and looked, none of them ever said reconstructive surgery. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, the uh, the, the the press release on Tarasenko said that he had reconstructive shoulder surgery, which is not what it said uh, for Sanford or Berglund. I don't, I don't know if there is a difference between those things. Uh, I also, there's a part of me that says, like, with Sanford and Berglund, the injuries were going to eat up some time of the regular season. With Tarasenko, knock on wood, uh, they hope that it won't eat up any of next season. Are they more likely to do subterfuge and be less specific uh, in, in the press release if if, you know, right, like maybe if, and I don't know why it would matter, but maybe if we don't say that Zach Sanford's shoulder was reconstructed, he doesn't get picked on on a four checker. I mean, they did the, the way they handle injuries is ridiculous enough. But yeah, I, that, that, that's pretty bad news, I think. Uh, it, not if for no other reason than that limits his training in the offseason, right? Uh, if the concern about Vladimir Tarasenko is in part like, a fitness concern and uh, a preparation concern, him not being able to, uh, to, to work uh, at least on the upper body for most of the summer is a problem. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting uh, summer overall. Uh, anything, anything else you thought was interesting out of the press conference? I mean, I kind of, that's the only thing I kind of really took from it. I mean, pretty much, I think the only thing he said was talking about the inexperience of the coaches, which I thought was interesting that he kind of brought that up. 
Yeah, and uh, and someone on Twitter, it may have been Justin Bourne, if not him, it was one of the other athletic guys, pointed out that that's a pretty curious thing to say uh, because the, the the assistants behind the Blues bench this year were all really pretty experienced except for Steve Ott. Uh, you know, Craig Berube has been a head coach in the NHL before and has plenty of experience as an NHL assistant coach. Uh, Daryl Sador was an assistant for Yo in Minnesota. Uh, Dan Kachuk was relatively inexperienced. The other guy... Uh, and this is going to be one to watch this offseason, is David Alexander, the goaltending coach, because he had no NHL experience prior to this season. Uh, but his connection was that he's been Jake Allen's personal goaltending coach since Jake Allen was playing a junior. So he's, he's had a long relationship with Jake, and that's how David Alexander ends up with the job here. Uh, and then Allen has the year that he had. I think maybe it leaves the Blues wondering if it was a great idea to hire him potentially. Yeah, so I'm I'm kind of see that like you said, I was going through kind of thinking too, and I'm like, just those three guys and more behind the scenes guys than the guys you kind of see at the forefront. Yeah, uh, you know, I, so it's interesting. I, I think that you know there's some concern about Barubi. Uh, you know, at the start of the year, the expectation was that Craig Barubi was probably only going to be here for a year because he was likely to be in the thick of some NHL coaching uh, head coaching offerings in this off season, and then all of a sudden, like. The Blues put up the second worst power play in the NHL and Bruby is running it and now no one wants him to be their head coach anymore, uh, which I mean, you know, it's, it's, I'm sure there are other things to go into that. Partially, I guess, there aren't there many jobs available, uh, but I do think it's interesting that the Blues bad year may have dropped Bruby down the list of attractive potential coaches for other teams. Yeah, um, I was thinking Bruby, I know he did, he did really well in Chicago a couple of years ago. Yeah, um, I didn't know if he possibly like you said, maybe rebuild his cred up a little bit and maybe go down to San Antonio because we'll have control yeah. next year. And I'm uh, pretty yeah. sure they won't even need a coach and they'll need a whole new staff down there. At, at the start of the year, uh, and, I, and I don't know which AHL program it was, but we had heard that he was offered both an AHL head coaching job as well as the assistant job with the Blues, and he thought that he wanted to be in the NHL. Uh, now, does that change after the year that he had maybe potentially and you're right that that, that the blues are going to have to staff are going to have to staff san antonio next year uh and the rampage too are having a pretty rough year they're gonna miss the playoffs so i don't think there's really any reason to hang on to any of the hockey ops people that are in san antonio now so maybe i mean maybe that would be a spot where he would land yeah and i wasn't sure how their contract situation worked in san antonio if they're going to go with the colorado guys to the new expansion team or if they're going to my, uh, my they were independent i'm not really sure how that worked i'm pretty sure that most ahl coaches are pretty year to year contracts I, I think that i think that's sort of that's sort of the bargain uh you know for coaching in the ahl is that there's sort of uh, an inherent instability that comes along with that gig yeah so um, like I said, is there anything else in the press conference that kind of stuck out to you? I think I was thought it was pretty much straightforward. You know, they talked about the things that they need to work on, the power play, um, depth. Uh, it sounds like he wants to dip into the trade market because he talked about having the first round pick. Yeah. Um, who knows what they do there? I got ideas, but like I said, I'm just like everybody else. I can pull my NHL 18 trades out, but right. you know, I'm also realistic too. Like I know that you have you do a bad contract at the end of the day that you're going to have to, why I think there's value in these guys that nobody likes, but you're going to have to kind of package something with these guys to possibly move them. And also the no trade clauses don't exactly help. Your, right. uh, yeah. I, I, I think that you, uh, 
I think that you were correct in in the way that you talk about how Armstrong talked about Allen. Like, and I, I tweeted this during the day too. It's like, look, he has two options with Allen at the press conference. Either he comes out and says what he said, or he comes out and says that, hey, we have a trade that's completed. Because even if they don't intend to keep uh, to, to to keep Jake Allen for next year it does them no good from a negotiating standpoint to walk out on that stage and go, yeah, you know, I think we're going to have to move on here because then anybody who you would potentially be making a trade with, uh, you know, I mean, not that they can't read the standings or read the stats, but if you make that statement publicly, then it's, then it's abundantly clear uh, sort of where the blues are at. Uh, it, it was, I think it was Lou Korak who, uh, who mentioned this and it was an interesting thing to remember was uh, the off season in fifteen sixteen after Brian Elliott's last year in St. Louis, uh, Doug Armstrong made a very similar statement where he came out at the, at the end of the year press conference and said, we expect both Jake and Brian to be back next year and to be our tandem. And lo and behold, Brian Elliott was traded like two weeks later. Uh, so, you know, he has some history of of standing up for the goalie on one day and then not so much on the next day. Like, oh, same thing. He gave Yaroslav a lock endorsement and two, uh, he's a week or two later, there's Ryan Miller, you know, right. so – like I said, Jug Armstrong, as much as people give him crap for it, he does play everything close to the best. And, like, for example, the, the Yorio Terra for Brain Shen trade came out of nowhere. So yeah. uh, that wasn't even remotely mentioned anywhere, no matter what blog forums you read. That was never mentioned. So, nope. um, like you said, I I kind of fully expect them to really look at that position hard. And if there's a minor upgrade anywhere, they'll take it and uh, they'll try to ship Jake somewhere. And yeah. there's places for him to go, in my opinion. I mean, Buffalo has nobody. Um, Islanders are, don't have much. Uh, there are places for Jake to go. My thing is this. If you're in a situation where you're moving on from Allen, either you're having to swap him for someone else's goaltender uh, who maybe is is on the downslope or, or needs a change of scenery, i.e. like a Scott Darling type, like you'd be mm-hmm. looking you know, in, in kind of a bad-for-bad bad kind of deal. Or you're dumping him uh, because you're expecting to go to market to find somebody. And if, if that's the case, then you're probably bringing in two guys because I don't think that there are any probably any unrestricted free agent goaltenders who you're really eager to hit your wagon to for like 60 games next year, right? Like you yeah. want Carter Hutton to come back for 50 to 60 games, like Jonathan Bernier, or right? Like there, there, there really aren't options. Uh, on the unrestricted market. I think the name that's going to get a lot of play in St. Louis, especially if the Grubauer thing in the playoffs goes well for the Capitals, is Braden Holpe. That's what I was going to bring up. That's going to be, I mean, that's going to be a popular name. I, you know, I I don't know. Uh, It's interesting, you know, the Capitals have sort of done this before in that they moved on from Varlamov to Holpe. Uh, when he, when when Varlamov was not getting the was not getting the job done in the playoffs, he had the off ice stuff going on too. The Capitals are an interesting spot where Holpe might be available either way because either uh, the Grubauer thing goes well, and so the Capitals you know win two rounds, they're in the conference final, and Grubauer carries them there and it shows he can be the guy, or they get knocked out by Columbus in the first round. Uh, Barry Trotz gets fired, and maybe they consider kind of a house cleaning that 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 Holby gets caught up in anyway. Because part of their problem is 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 a cat. You know, I, I have way too much capital stuff going on. That's my other team, right? Uh, so, uh-huh. uh, so 
they have, I mean, do they just have a really bad cap situation? Like that's why you're having to play Michael Kempney on your second defensive pair and Jacob Jarabek is getting regular. Yeah. That's just sort of where they're at with their defense because the cap is so tight. Uh, Holby is like 6.1 against the cap. So that would be an opportunity, you know, and the blues could probably absorb that. Now, would the Capitals want to take Allen back? Probably not. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it would be a thing where you would have to dump Jake elsewhere and then make that move. Yeah, it's it's possible. Yeah, that's that's the one that's going to get, like you said, get played because either goalie is actually pretty uh, interesting up in uh, Washington. Hopey or Grubauer. Grubauer uh, going to be RFA coming off a two point five deal, I believe. Yeah. And uh, so he's going to get a pretty good bump after the way he's played this year. So, I mean, maybe even like a Jake size contract, four years, 17 yeah. mil, that could be possible for him. Well, and there was, and there was a, uh, there, there was somewhere between a rumor and report as well that Ilya Samsonov, who was their top goaltending, pro, their top goaltending prospect and has been playing in the KHL, will be signing with the Caps here imminently. Uh, so if you were to have Samsonov, that's a guy who is a sort of like a better version of Ilya Huso, a guy who you would trust probably to play 25 to 30 games next year for the Capitals. And so they probably wouldn't have all three of those guys in the system. They would be looking to move on from either Grubauer or Holtby. Uh, my guess is they would prefer to move Holtby, but that again, that will depend on what these playoffs look like. Yeah, so it's an interesting situation, but it's got to keep an eye on. So um, – uh, I guess any other season-ending thoughts before we move on to the other interesting news that kind of came out today uh, about Blues' yeah. ownership? I, I think the, the thing about the, the end of the season is that ultimately what it boils down to is that they they didn't have very many good forwards, right? Like So Oscar Sundquist played 42 games and scored one goal. Chris Thorburn played 50 games, scored one goal. Tage Thompson played 41 games, scored three goals. Magnus Payarvi, our dear departed friend Magnus, who we forget about, played 44 games for the Blues this year and had two goals and two assists. Like, they were between three and five NHL forwards short of a real lineup for the entirety of the season. And so it should not come as a surprise uh, that the goal scoring caused the struggles. And, and Doug Armstrong spoke to, in, in the press conference, spoke to, his belief, at least, that the, the the deficiencies up front were part of what caused the problem for Jake. Whether or not you believe that, they certainly need to address the forward depth. Yeah, I think I see them. And he also talked about Robert Thomas. I think he mentioned him actually three times if I when I counted during the press conference. Uh, so it sounds like he, they're pretty high on him. And I don't say he's labeled for a spot, but I think he's got the early edge on a spot uh, if he decides sure. to turn uh, pro, I think probably will turn pro. Obviously. I think the um, I think the idea with Thomas would be, uh, presumably they will make every attempt to move at least one of Berglund and Sabotka, and Thomas would be sort of a natural fit in that place in that role on that team. Yeah, that would be a good move on their part. Uh, they might. I, I see them revisiting the talks with Ottawa. Yeah, I've seen a couple of crazy. Uh, articles today we're talking about revisiting article and possibly moving Pareko for Carlson, which I thought was hilarious. So, um, uh, yeah, that's, that's not happening. Well, here's, here's, here's the thing with that, like setting aside whether or not you would want to move Pareko for a guy who's going to be UFA after next year, even with Eric Carlson from the Senator's perspective, the reason to move Carlson is because they don't want to make the financial commitment. And Colton Pareko still has like 20 million left on a contract that Ottawa is going to want nothing to do with. Like Melnick is stripping the team for parts. He's broke. Uh, yeah. So there's going to be no, there's going to be no taking big contracts back for the senators. Yeah. So interesting uh, things what they could possibly do. So move on to today's news. So recording this on the 12th of uh, April, um, 
So the Blues, uh, sort of mild, mildly up for sale, which doesn't, it's not really like that. Uh, basically, the original, basically, Checkets Group held a minority stake. Uh, how much of that stake? Uh, don't really know. They, yeah, no I, one, no I, I mean, it's really unsure of. It could be a third, it could be a fourth, it could be, you know, 5% for all we know. But that was part of the deal that uh, uh, Stillman with Checkets, Dwayne took the team over in 2012. And now, finally, they're putting that up for sale. Um, and the Blues value has gone up quite a bit. I didn't, on an article today, it said the Blues were sold for in the what, mid 100, 135? Right? Yeah, yeah, but between 130 and 135, I don't know that the uh, the official number ever got published. And then Forbes have value uh, well over 400 million. Yeah. Uh, now, the so. thing to remember is that. The, the price that the Stillman group paid that 130 to 135 wasn't for a hundred percent of the team, right? That was for, uh, so Stillman already had a minority percentage and that was for a controlling interest. So assume, you know, more than 50%. Uh, but, but the, the team probably at the time of the purchase was probably close to, well, so if 135 was more than 50%, the team is probably like worth 250 million or so. Uh, at the time of, of the sale in 2012. And again, remember that, you know, Towerbrook sort of announced that they were going to divest and they were looking for a buyer for nearly a year uh, before the Stillman group could put together the cash to make that deal happen. And so it is interesting that they're, uh, that, that what, what remains of sports capital partners is, is bailing out. Now, someone today tweeted a link to me and I hadn't seen this because frankly, I don't really keep track of Dave Checkets. He did. He bailed somebody out of jail last year. I think a Knicks player like got in trouble. Uh, was it Marbury? Charles Oakley. That's what Charles it was. Oakley, that's right. Charles what Oakley, Oakley, that's right. The garden by James Dolan, like Dave Checkets was bailing him out of jail or something. That uh, was interesting. But, but he, someone sent me a link today from uh, the first week of April. He sold a house that he had for like five million. So it appears that um, Dave is going liquid for something. If he's, he's sold off, sold off some assets now. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't think it's just as simple as the team's for sale and they're going to have a buyer and it's going to be easy peasy. If, you know, I, again, it's an estimate, but given that it took so long for the Stillman group to put together what they put together and given how much they paid, there are some pretty hefty minority chunks probably still out there. So yeah, I think it's probably a reasonable guess that SCP probably owns between like a quarter and a third of the team right now. Uh, and, and so it's going to be interesting on what they uh, they put forward here. So like a hundred million dollar investment, you're going to need somebody to make. Uh, what's what would be an interesting thing to know? Uh, the, the the Taylor family who owns Enterprise has, I believe, they have like a percentage of the Stillman Group, but not a yes. substantial one. Uh, they would be an interesting possibility as a sort of larger minority partner, especially when you consider that like. Somebody has to name the building too. The building needs correct. To- and those uh, those renderings came out earlier in the year, where I guess they were showing off the building and saying how it looked with Enterprise all over it and stuff on the inside. That kind of came out, and a lot of people immediately jumped on that, and that kind of died down pretty quickly. So uh, be yeah. interesting on the naming rights too. Because and part of that was was that uh, National Rental Car in theory were was going to have the naming rights for the potential Riverfront Football Stadium now. The extent to which that was ever real, given that there's, you know, not a stadium, uh, is I guess a fair question. But they they at least had agreed to 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 have those naming rights there, so worth noting, I guess. 
Yeah, so that'll be a story that uh, I think will carry into next season. Like you said, I don't think it's a quick uh, – somebody has 100 mil to throw around. And if I win the lottery, you never know. But Right. It's probably yeah. something that's going to take uh, well into next season and possibly into this time next year. Like you said, it took a while to sell blues before. I could easily see this being a six-month, six, eight-month process that could uh, – you know, like you well, said, enterprise would be an interesting one. And there's a lot of there's a lot of the guys that are in the minor in that group right now that have a small piece that are worth a lot of money. So there could be something there. Or there could well, be somebody from outside that group. The one thing that I do that I do wonder, like the Blues were very emphatic today that the team is not for sale. Tom Stillman remains the chairman, so on and so forth. I, I have to go back and look at this, but my recollection uh, of when Tower Brook pulled out, because Tower Brook was the financing behind Sports Capital Partners. My recollection is that when they pulled out, Dave Checkett's kind of made a similar statement where he was like, I plan to remain the chairman and blah, 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 uh, and eventually just didn't have the cash to operate the team anymore. And mm-hmm. and so they had, so he had so he had to accept uh, the sale of a majority percentage of the team. So uh, this is not to say that Tom Stillman would go down that path. I would have no idea of, of what the liquidity of, of his group is right now, but we have seen this before, uh, and it did end in a ownership changeover. So it'll be an interesting uh, story that will definitely drag into next season, and we'll see how it turns out. Yep. So um, last uh, last thing we'll get into is I've been asking everybody three questions to uh, kind of summarize the season. So my first one will be, uh, who is your season MVP? Uh, I think it has to be Alex Petrangelo. Uh, you know, at, at the start of the year, the first 20 games of the year, we're talking about Petrangelo as a guy who is definitely a Norris finalist and maybe the favorite for the trophy. As the year went on, you know, he had the injury, the team slowed down around him. Uh, his 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 statistical splits in games that that Jay Bomeister played in are shocking this year. It's weird. It's weird. It's yeah. really big, like, and and he wasn't he wasn't paired with Bo Meester. I, you know, my 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 guess is without looking at the numbers in front of me that Bo Meester's most common partner was probably Colton Pareko this year because they stuck pretty well with Bo Meester and Pareko and Edmondson and Petrangelo here. But yeah, I mean, with 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 uh, with with Bo Meester in the lineup, he was you know a point every third game kind of player, and without Bo Meester, he was close to a point per game. Like it is shocking. The difference, but I, I think he's he's so strong on the defensive end and plays such like such, such a cerebral a cerebral smart game defensively. Uh, he's never going to be like the big snarly Chris Pronger type that I think fans are attached to. He had the thing with Jamie Ben where Jamie Ben sits on him and people went crazy, you know, wanting mm-hmm. hard. Yeah, you know, but that's that's not the game he plays. He he plays a controlled puck possession game uh, and is so incredibly valuable on the back end. Uh, that I mean, to me, he was the MVP. He was the best player. Alex Trangelo was the star of the team. Yeah, so that's a that's a good choice. That's a, somebody hasn't picked that yet so far. So that's interesting to hear it like that. So uh, this could be a number of things, a number of people, but the biggest disappointment for the year. Um, the biggest disappointment for the year was the inability of the front office to identify the problem with the forward depth and then address it. I, I think that when Robbie Fabry gets hurt uh, in training camp, it reveals a pretty big problem with basically not having a third line for a large portion of the season, right? Uh, if if we if we concede that 
you can still get by with an old school fourth line, like a fighter and a grinder and then a four checking guy, that Upshaw, Brodziak, Thorburn line of this sort of like, you know, the stereotypical NHL fourth line. If we assume that that's fine and the fourth line shouldn't be like speed guys who can score some goals, teams are doing that at winning the cup now, but fine. Uh, they just didn't have a third line this year at all. Early in the year with Berglund hurt, so you had Savotka playing in the top six, uh, and you're cycling through, you know, Yashkin and Payarvi and Sunquist, and like they're just all these guys who contributed nothing. They were, you know, Dmitry Yashkin played some fine games when he was playing on the fourth line, filling in for Upshaw. Uh, mm-hmm. That to me is a role that that that, that he's useful in, and so. You know, if you were to go into next year with that for him in mind, fine. But you know, is Oscar Sundquist an NHL player? I, I'm not. I'm not convinced of that. And, and so that became clear really early, and there was there was nothing done. You know, I, I talked about this a couple of times, and it's it's sort of shocking to me. Over the last two seasons, there have been a total of three players who have played any games for the Blues who were not in the organization at the start of the year. So Sanford last year uh, after the trade from Washington, and then this year you had Soshnikov and then one game for Mitch Renke. Those are the only games played by players who weren't in the organization at the start of the year. Doug Armstrong has been stagnant uh, during the season and and so did not make the changes that were necessary to to reinforce that forward depth. Yeah, and that's uh, something that he, he talked about in great length uh, during his press conference. I see him getting something done. I don't know what's going to get done, but I, I see the Blues doing the shakeup because I think as much as we said last year is a huge year for Army, I think after this year's complete and utter failure, I think he has to be feeling the heat this year of any year that he's been a GM. So yeah. this is bigger than his follow-up year to the uh, conference finals where that kind of was like a, a last hurrah for a group, and this is kind of the – transition year, whatever he wants to call it. And like people said, it is a half-assed transition because you haven't done anything. You just relied on guys that have been there before on the team that was the big, heavy Kings-type team you're trying to build. And now you're trying to go fast and uh, tenacious, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, in, you really don't have that. And that's and that's that's a thing that, that Bradley, who, pub, who publishes Game Time and does the Game Time Drive Time podcast with me, uh, a thing that he and I have talked about a lot is that the Blues do not establish their own identity. They chase mm-hmm. the league, right? They the copy. That, yes, the thing that beats them is the thing that they want to do. And you're, and you're even seeing it now. Like, you, you mentioned the Kings, and then you mentioned the Wild speed it out. That's what they try to be, the Wild. And the thing now is Nashville and Minnesota have all of the offense and have the, from, 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 have the offense from the defense and have that strong mobility on defense. Okay, so then let's break up Petrangelo and Pareko. Let's commit to those two guys. You're, you're, I mean, you even you see that now with the roster building strategy. It, it's it's continuing, uh, and it's a concern. Yeah, it's, it's uh, something that uh, you wish they would pick something and go with it, or just try to make their own thing and figure right. it out. But uh, uh, we'll see what they can do. So the last thing I kind of uh, wanted to ask people: There's one thing. You, if you were the GM, you were Doug Armstrong for. One move, what would be the one move you would do in the offseason? Like I said, it could be fantasy, realistic, whatever your little heart desires. The answer is John Tavares. Like It just it has to be John Tavares. If he gets to UFA, and it seems very likely that he will at this point, uh, it's so rare for a player of his talent and, and who plays center 
to be an unrestricted free agent, to have the ability to acquire that player for nothing but cash. Like there's, there's just no way to pass up on this. And, and, and the way that I've characterized this when I've talked about it before is that it's probably not good business. Uh, but instead of going to Tavares and saying, this is our offer, what is your counter and working back and forth, the conversation needs to be going to Tavares and you say, John, what is the amount of money that has to go on this check for you to sign it and come play for the Blues? That 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 really is the level of desperation that I think that they should be pursuing John Tavares at. I agree with you on that one. And if he does, like you said, the, the comments from the Islanders uh, uh, press conference weren't great. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I kind of see uh, I see him reaching UFA one way or another. If he goes back to the Islanders, he may be, but he I think John Tavares seems like the type of player. Where's his heart on his sleeve and wants to win. The only, um, the only, like, the only thing that makes me wonder about him getting to free agency is that Steven Stamkos didn't. Right. That that's sort of the only thing that gives me that that make, gives me pause is that Stamkos got very close, kind of looked around and was like, yeah, I'm staying here. The difference there, there are two big differences though that make that made me think Tavares is definitely going. Number one, Stamkos already played in Tampa, uh, where there's no income tax. Right, that's a pretty mm-hmm. benefit to playing in Tampa. John Tavares plays in New York, where there is a lot of income tax, uh, so he doesn't have that reason to stay. And number two, Stamkos has that injury history, and I think that there's probably this like pressure uh, for some players. You know, even if he was healthy, the pressure of leaving and maybe being injured again uh, would be a pretty big risk. Whereas again, Tavares doesn't have that sort of, that same sort of history, and maybe more willing to sort of gamble on himself. Yeah, um, that's good. That's probably right. And I also look at the Islanders team compared to what you kind of saw in Tampa a couple years ago. Yeah, that's big too. Yeah, I think uh, I think Tampa. I think he kind of saw what was there. Not I mean it, it was still had a couple years, like a year or two. I think he knew they were going to be a pretty solid team. If you look at the Islanders, I mean, look at Josh Hosang throwing people under the bus, and uh, you got Barzal, and you got some other guys, but you really don't have a goaltender. Your defense is like a sieve. You know, nothing's really good back there. We have the, you have a couple uh, of decent guys up front, but I mean, you're not really built. I mean, Andrew Ladd has been a complete bust, and you got that on the Bilks for another five years. You have the unfireable Garth Snow, so you can't make yeah. any. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, that like you said, I agree with uh, all those points. So I, that's the one thing I hope they do. So, and then I think if you get him, that's instant cred for your team, and that attracts free agents, and that yeah. attracts people that want to be here, you know, compared to people think we're like a stopover city or not, not an elite team. You know, if, if, if John Tavares is a guy who wants a quieter market, that St. Louis is great for him. You know, that, that all makes sense. Uh, one thing that the blues have to offer that no other team does is Vladimir Tarasenko, right? Like there are very few teams that have a winger of that ability that you can go to Tavares and say, Sign here, and this is the guy that you play next to for at least the next five years. That's that's a that's a rare thing uh, because you know in, in New York, like he's making Anders Lee into a superstar playing with the Islanders, and so the thought of what he could do with Tarasenko is uh, is pretty it's pretty tempting. Yeah, he got Matt Molson a crap ton of money from Buffalo. Yeah, so um, so he can easily so if he can do that, imagine what he can do with a player who actually has skill. So uh, that's just it make this lineup instantly better so we'll see what happens so uh we'll start to wrap it up there so uh for people who want to listen i know you had the drive time podcast with yep. brad for st louis game time uh where else can people uh, find you at 
So find me on Twitter at JM Jones. Uh, yeah, we'll be at St. Louis Game Time. We'll have the Game Time Drive Time podcast throughout the summer. I'll have stuff written uh, on, on Game Time as well. If you're a baseball person, uh, just got started with the Locked On Podcast Network covering the St. Louis Cardinals, and I'll be down at the ballpark all summer. In fact, I'm actually I'm going up to Wrigley uh, on Sunday, making the drive up to Chicago for the awesome. series at Wrigley. So if you're a Cardinals person, make sure you check out at Locked On STL on Twitter. It's Locked On St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, that's going to be the, so we're, we're submitted to iTunes now. So hopefully we'll be up and we'll be up and good to go. Uh, by the time that you're listening to this, we should be able to be findable. Uh, otherwise, yeah, you can hear me on 9:20 a.m. doing uh, doing Cardinals reports twice a week, doing Blues reports anywhere that's going to give me a, a microphone and a place to talk. I'm happy to do it. So happy to happy to be here. I'll, I'm sure I'll be on this podcast this summer some as well. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to get everybody on, and uh, we'll try to get uh, some more stuff together. Perfect. Uh, like I said, greatly appreciate you coming on. Uh, unfortunately, the season ends a little too short for some of us. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how the summer looks. I got the draft coming up one way or another. I think the draft's going to be interesting for the Blues. So, If you have the wherewithal, go to the NHL draft. The NHL draft is so much fun. I can't encourage it strongly enough. Yeah, and this year, Dallas. Chicago, Dallas. 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 Chicago was last year. It's only an eight-hour drive. You can do it. That's not bad because I, I got to drive to Georgia in the June. So actually, funny enough, I will actually be in Atlanta the weekend of the draft, so I will not be the well, – yeah. unfortunately. I just realized that a second ago as I was running through my head. So, uh, yeah, because the draft is a ton of fun. Uh, yeah. When I was in St. Louis years ago, I had a ton of fun there, and I can imagine just having fun now going there. So. Um, side note for that, the best reaction ever was you reacting to the Oriole Terror trade live on the, ter- the floor. I, uh, yeah. I think I watched that video like five times. I had, I had drinks at that point. Uh, yeah. I, had, I, 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 we were wandering around kind of like the fan fest area outside and they had beers there. And then we came inside and we were there two hours early. So there were, I, I probably was like four or five deep at that point. Uh, yeah, all good. Fun and fun story. Uh, once they made that trade, I stopped immediately because I was I was not there working, uh, but there was no one there working covering the Blues. So I, at the end of the first round, marched on down to the draft floor and talked to Doug Armstrong for a little bit. Turns out security at the United Center, not good at stopping people. So I just was like, hey, hey, Doug, you, you want to talk? And we, uh, we had <laughs> out. Uh, that's awesome. So, yeah, so hopefully uh, uh, we'll get some fire, more fireworks on draft day uh, this year. So Very once again, Yeah. Once again, Jeff, thanks for coming on and uh, we'll talk soon. Happy to do it. Thank you, sir. Welcome back to the Blues Hockey Podcast. Your host, Jason, and uh, we'll continue with our season ending uh, uh, wrap up interviews, is what I'm calling them. So uh, I have Brad Lee from St. Louis Game Time. So Brad is, I would say, the main man driving uh, the St. Louis uh, Game Time uh, program, magazine, whatever you like to call it, that is uh, sold outside of the uh, Scott trade. And uh, I get it uh, through email, and it's uh, I, I consider it essential to read before blues games uh when you guys produce it so uh thanks for coming on Brad. yeah hey thanks yeah it's uh 
<clears throat> lots of people call it different things. Some people call it a newsletter. I'm like, that's not really a newsletter. Uh, but I've, I've called it a paper or newspaper, but some people call it a program because it has the, the stats and the roster in the middle and everything. So, but yeah, it's, it's the, it's the game day publication, fan run publication. Uh, one's been sold outside every blues home game dating back to the opening of the building in January of 1995. Yeah. So, um, it's something, uh, we'll, I uh, will talk about at the end of the, uh, interview here about how fans can, uh, subscribe either digitally or, uh, you know, where obviously sold outside of games, but you can get it digitally, uh, which is a really fantastic way to get it. So, okay, cool. Uh, yeah. So, uh, basically just doing a kind of like what happened at the end of the season. Blues obviously did not make the playoffs, hence why I'm doing these interviews to fill content. Uh, <laughs> so, finish one, four, and one, not the way to go if you want to get into the playoffs. Uh, just missed by a point, lost to Colorado the last game. Uh, lots of stuff happened during the season. So uh, I'll kind of let you uh, go from here and what's your thoughts on this? Try to encapsulate the season as best you can. Well, I, here's the thing, you know, one, one point. And if you think back to some of the stumbles the team had, I mean, you know, the last home game, home game 41 against the Hawks, Duncan Keith, who was shooting less than 1% shooting percentage on the season, gets the game-winning goal less than 10 seconds left in the game. They just hold out for 10 more seconds during the playoffs. Mm-hmm. They they had the 3-0 lead in the third period at Nashville. That thing goes to overtime. They lose in overtime. Uh, you know, you could even talk about the two games against the Florida Panthers, who, who, you know, at the time were not that good, but they turned out to be an almost playoff team. The two games against uh, the Arizona Coyotes, they, they got blown out. They had a third period lead in a couple different games that, that they kind of gave away. There was one the first time they, they went to to Vegas in the fall in October. Uh, they they had a, <clears throat> excuse me they had a th- third period lead, gave up the game time goal, lost in overtime. So mm-hmm. I mean there there are if you look at the schedule, it's like every couple weeks they could have gotten one point here, one point there. Disappointing performances against Ottawa and Philadelphia, and, you know. And if you look at the home schedule, really. I mean, I think the home schedule and, and their struggles at home and their lack of consistency at home really kind of encapsulates how kind of the season went where, you know, it was up and down and up and down. And they, they could look great against some of the best teams in the league. But then against some of the average and below average teams, they you just never knew what kind of performance you were going to get. Uh, you know, I know injuries were a problem. I know, you know. The, the, the Jaden Schwartz injury obviously hurt. Alex Steen's, Alexander Steen starting the season on the injured list. Jay Bomeister and his injuries throughout the year. I mean, it was very rare for the Blues to, to actually ice the team and roster and lineup that they expected that they put together in the summer. But, you know, I think even as the season started, I wrote in the paper that I kind of expected this past season to be more of a stepping stone that you you work on a couple of young guys, getting them in the lineup and getting them some seasoning, and, and you get ready for Paul Stasny's contract to come off the salary cap. And, you know, they did that a, did that a little bit earlier with the, with the move at the trade deadline. I kind of felt at the time when you, when you dump him for a prospect and a pick that maybe you do that with a couple other guys, and they didn't do that, and they also didn't add. And, you know, maybe if they had added a, a veteran winger to add a little bit of depth scoring that maybe they could have gotten a point in one of those games. Who knows? It just kind of seems like 
the Blues are just kind of caught in that limbo where they're not really bad enough to do a full rebuild. They weren't quite good enough to make the playoffs or make a be a factor in the playoffs. You know, if they had, if they had replaced the Avalanche in the playoffs, I, I don't think there's any way that they would have put up more of a fight than than the Avalanche did against the Predators. So, mm-hmm. you know, it probably it probably would have been a short stay in the playoffs, which you know is, is that good or bad? I, I you know the team could use the extra revenue, obviously, and they say that you know every home playoff game is about a million dollars worth of revenue, but it. It's just it's kind of I don't know it it's it's vexing it's it's uh, confusing it's you know you just never really know and it's there's some definite pieces to build around and and you know part of that you know I said that this year could be kind of a, a building block a stepping stone year uh, you know Vince Dunn we didn't really expect him to to play like he did and emerge as he has this season that's been a really big positive. You know, Ivan Barbashev and Tage Thompson, I think, took a step back. A guy like Sammy Blay, who got chances, didn't make the most of those chances. And I kind of wish a couple of those young guys, more than Vince Dunn, more than Joel Edmondson kind of showing that last year's playoffs weren't really a fluke, that maybe beyond just those two guys that some of the other young guys could have had a little bit more of an impact and kind of matured a little bit this season. And you just didn't see that. So, you know, I didn't expect him to go very far. I expect him to make the playoffs, but... Uh, I, I kind of thought, you know what, you, you get some young guys some experience, you get some salary cap to go after some players this summer, and you see what happens next year. That mostly happened. But, you know, I think kind of the elephant in the room is is the goaltending situation. And do they really have a guy that they want to trust in Jake Allen? You know, they got chances back. You know, he lost a great job to Carter Hutton halfway through. But everyone said, oh, you know, this happened last year, and he came on the playoffs, and they won the playoff round against Minnesota. Yeah, but the number one guy and a consistent starting goaltender in the NHL shows up on a nightly basis and doesn't have – doesn't need to take a mental break and, 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 and shows up to play and is consistent every single night. And, you know, one of the biggest things I think to me is legit starting goaltenders, when something goes wrong – the, the, you never see them sweat. You don't see their body language. You don't see them kind of slump down or their shoulders kind of slump or, you know, they hang their head. You don't, you don't see that. You, it's like a, it's like a point guard or a shooting guard in basketball. You may, you miss a three pointer, you miss a couple three pointers, you keep shooting, you know, baseball players, you miss a couple swings, you keep swinging goaltenders, man. You can't, you can't doubt yourself. It's it. That position is much about mental preparedness and self-confidence and knowing that you're going to make the next save as much as any position in, in hockey or even more so. And, and when he obviously gets rattled and rattled on a consistent basis, I, you just have to question if he really has the makeup for, for being a, a number one goaltender. So I know that was kind of all over the place, but I mean, it, it was kind of an all over the place season, I guess. No, no, you're uh, right. So, I agree with uh, the youngster. I think Vince Dunn was a definite surprise and a pleasant surprise. So that was a good thing for him. I was, I was kind of hoping him or Wallman be the guy that kind of stepped forward and have a good year. Uh, I thought it'd be Wallman, honestly, considering the end of the season he had last year. Um, but uh, Vince Dunn uh, really well. So I'll take that. Edmondson, like he said, positive. Uh, I guess I'd never been like a massive Tage Thompson fan and this year kind of, prove my like and you know confirm my kind of 
thing, but I'm also, it's his first year. I never really played more than 40 games in a year. So I kind of, you know, take it with a grain of salt to a degree. And, and like, it could be also his use. So he didn't really get used, I think in the best, uh, like he was kind of coddled a little too much. I think he didn't really get a lot of chances when he had that little streak, when he was scoring some goals, um, he never got a chance to move up any more than the third line, which I thought was, I get his defense, his defensive deficiencies, but I would have liked to see him within a more prominent role with like Paul Stasny and maybe Steen on the wing or something like that to see how they would have panned out and never really happened. Uh, so uh, like you said, Jake Allen is a huge question mark. I think they're going to, they're going to look into it in the off season. I don't know if they'll be able to do anything, but I think that's uh, a definite uh, thing that Armstrong has to look into for sure. Cause I think, uh, like I think we've pointed out on the podcast a couple times now, if you need a mental break on game 81, uh, there's no, there's something wrong. <laughs> you yeah. can't, you don't, if you need a mental break that late in the season that, and he said it was not his choice. It was Doug Armstrong's choice. Martin, uh, Martin Broder's choice to the coach's decision to leave him back and then have him go directly to Colorado. But uh, I don't know if the coaches think you need a mental break. I think that's, that's kind of telling. Yeah. And it, it's, it'll be interesting to see their approach with the goaltending position. It almost might kind of signify it. It's going to have to go along with what their strategy is for next year. If they're going to go all in on John Tavares and, and try to load up and try to be a competitor, or, you know, contender immediately, then it's something you have to address. If you still think that you're a year or two away, then you still have Billy Huso who's, who's getting some seasoning and who could be, the best goaltender in the organization as far as potential. So, but, but you know, they had him on the bench for how many games at the end of the season and never let him get out there, even in mop-up duty. Yeah. So I, I, obviously they don't think he's ready for next year. I don't think they're going to be able to afford Carter Hutton. I think Carter Hutton, I think the best comparable, I mean, it's, it's too easy, but I think honestly the best comparable for what he might command this year might be a Brian Elliott type contract, two years, three and a half million. Some team that needs a stopgap uh, for a younger guy coming up, kind of like the Ville Husso situation. I mean, if you could somehow get rid of Jake Allen and sign Carter to two years, then you could basically say he's the bridge to the Ville Husso era and kind of go from there. But, you know, who's going to take Jake Allen with his struggles at more than $4 million a year with three years left on the contract? I mean, that that seems kind of difficult. So I, I don't think Hutton's going to come back. I think they're going to, I think they're going to go with Allen and then maybe get another guy and send Huso down to San Antonio where they can control the playing time and give him all the starter minutes and see what happens. But I mean, damn, it's, I, it's, it's, a, yeah, it's, a, it's a tough decision. There, and there's not much out there UFA wise either that you could go out and no. spend, you know, six million dollars like last year where Dallas you know went after Bishop and spent six million dollars and got someone like Ben Bishop who was a proven starter eh, injury history but what I mean besides the yeah. point but a guy that's a proven starter that can handle being a starter there's really nobody out there this year that's uh the closest thing you have is Kari Lutnin which uh, they don't need to touch that with a 10-foot pole no 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 no, no. so uh, <laughs> the best thing they can do the, the dream was early uh, before the playoffs started was that uh Washington be out in the first round, and then uh, you could go after somebody like Holpe or possibly Grubauer, which could be possible. I, I would prefer Holpe, but uh, he proved how how uh, good he is. Which so he is a. Uh, I would be surprised if Washington moves on from him. Uh, if they do, they're going to get a good ransom from him. So yeah, uh, 
Yeah, so I doubt they do, though, unless they fall short in this uh, second round against Pittsburgh again. Uh, that could, that could, they could, you know, surprise people and they need to get some cap room to sign Carlson. So that could be a, well, something to look into. As we're recording this, it's two on Penguins in the third. At least that's what I last I saw before I looked over my shoulder. Yeah, I saw, I think I saw two to one earlier too. I haven't uh, followed up on it yet. I'll have to, they're, they're in commercial, so I'll have to update you. When okay, gotcha. So, uh, Blues end up, uh, I kind of talk a little bit about the press conference then the season. A lot of people said they were shocked about the whole, he endorsed Jake Allen. We kind of addressed that already. Um, not too much came out of it. Tarasenko had to have a shoulder surgery. So he's out till basically the beginning of, uh, basically tr- uh, training camp. I don't see him really, uh, uh, be quiet. Sorry. Uh, I don't see him, uh, being ready or might not being a hundred percent. I think you're going to see him struggle throughout the beginning of the next year until he's a hundred percent, which might take part of the season. Who knows? Uh, Cause apparently it's re- like reconstructive shoulder surgery, which is a uh, uh, pretty intense. So it'd be kind of interesting to see uh, how he rebounds. Uh, yeah. So it's interesting. What's going to go into training camp. So he could get, he could get all sorts of uh, advice from uh, Patrick Berglund. Berglund or Dimitri or uh, Zach Sanford or whoever yeah. we got, we got a lot of, unfortunately a lot of, uh, a lot of people that could uh, say that. So uh, like we kind of talked about the off season pre-agency kind of thing. Um, obviously John Tavares is the big one that's out there. Um, even and, I think it's interesting how national guys are bringing it up. That's, that's my thing. It's always if a blues fans bring it up as a dream. Yeah. That's the one thing. But when you have guys that are reputable, national guys like Bob McKenzie uh, today, I believe I was reading a Craig Custance article about the UFAs and he was, he, he mostly mentioned San Jose. I mean, a good possibility, but he said he believes St. Louis is a very strong possibility as well. If he doesn't go back to the Islanders. Um, so I kind of, do you think it's even a remote possibility that we could uh, go after Tavares? I mean, it'd be dumb if they don't, but I like most people say there's gonna be 30 other teams going after him. Well, okay, so there's a couple different factors. One, I think if if he was going to stay with the Islanders, he would have already said it. Uh, he's had every opportunity throughout the whole season. You know, they've been off for a couple weeks now here into, into May now, so he could have said something the last three weeks. And his end-of-season remarks to the media uh, seem to indicate that he – probably wasn't going to come back. I mean, he was, he was pretty wish-washy, wouldn't commit either way. But, you know, if he's going to stay, he's going to stay. And I, I don't think he is. So you look at teams that could afford him, but teams also that aren't five years away from being a contender. And you look at, you know, the core players on the team, how old they are, what their skill level is, what their ceiling is with and without him. And it kind of makes sense when you look at St. Louis compared to what? Does he want to go to Montreal? Does he want to be under the Montreal media microscope? How how long is it going to take for Montreal to be a, a contender? And you look at the salary cap numbers that they have with Shea Weber and Carey Price for the next several seasons. Uh, you know, he's not going to want to go to Toronto. You know, the, really, there's, there's three leading contenders. St. Louis, San Jose, and the New York Rangers. The Rangers, he just have to move across town. But, man... Other than other than Lundqvist, I mean, damn, they they do not have a good team. Yeah, so, I like, mean, I, would, I, like a Chris Kreider is about the only one I can think of that's a solid. Yeah, 
solid guy. Why would team. you want to? Why would you want to move across town from one crappy team to the other, and and still not sniff the playoffs? Still not sniff a chance to uh, advance in the playoffs? Yeah. So you know, if you look at the core players on the team, you know they went to the second round last year. They went to the third round two years ago. So you know, if they if they do some retooling and they they bring in some talent like him, you know, it could it could be that way. The only thing you know san jose you know they're in the playoffs they're in the second round uh they're in a dog fight with uh with vegas you know that might be an interesting situation where if joe thornton doesn't come back they'll have some money it's in a nice area you're not the number one team in the market so media isn't going to be a problem you can go hang out and go to the mall go shopping and no one's going to bug you like if you were in montreal or toronto or some of the other hockey crazy areas so i I think I honestly think the biggest uh, competition with the Blues and signing him is San Jose. But you know, maybe he likes uh, fried ravioli. Uh, maybe he likes fra- fried ravioli. Maybe he likes the arts. Maybe he likes Midwestern sensibility. I don't know, but it's uh, you know, it seems to make sense. They have the cap room. The, the The only crappy part is if he's Plan A, and you know, the Cardinals went through this in the off season. I think was why a lot of St. Louis fans are skeptical because you know when the Cardinals went after Giancarlo Stanton you know they made the bid and they kind of were the preferred suitor and Stanton said no I don't want to live in St. Louis and he decides to go to New York it kind of gives you that uh inferiority complex that guy can go play where anywhere in North America why would he come here Giancarlo Stanton could pick any team in Major League Baseball he could have come here and he specifically chose not to. So I, yeah. I, I get that feeling totally, but the, the, the worst part is so that if he's plan a plan B, man, I mean, it's going to, uh, to me, it like, it's not through free agency. It has to be through trade. And I don't yeah. know where they're going to go on that way. The timing the, the, I uh, this is something I've kind of toyed about and I'm plugging my phone in here so I don't die. Um, something I've toyed with a little bit with the blues is that um, I think there is a there's this thing with this this franchise where there's this this historic lack of timing. So you unload seven million dollars of cap space, the salary cap's going up. You could free up some other space if if Bo Meester goes on long term IR, or you move another guy or two, and there's only one guy to go after. Next summer is the summer for free agency. I mean, there's like 10 guys you could totally turn your team around that are going to be available next summer. But it's not this summer. And, and it's, it's like, man, do you just want to save all that salary cap space? I mean, this team is historically under the Stillman ownership group spent to the salary cap. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's every indication they're going to try to do that again this year. And if you do that, then you're not going to be in position to, to bid for guys for next year. So it's, I mean, it's just another unlucky timing thing you know just like when you get the number one overall pick and the number the you know the best guy is eric johnson and and it's in between patrick kane okay fine i can say i can see where you'd say no they don't want patrick kane but between patrick kane and Sidney crosby but you get eric johnson i mean that is that is historically bad timing yeah it seems like it. that's the history the basically the story of the blues um yeah it's gonna be interesting offseason i think uh, like I said in other uh, interviews, I believe they're going to be more active than people think. I, I think I think Blues fans have been very pessimistic on a lot of things lately, but I really think uh, 
it's going to be more active than you think. I think the they're going to go after somebody either via trade or free agency. If it is Tavares, I believe they're going to get that. Uh, do you think if the Stasny is a possibility to come back, or do you think uh, that ship has sailed? Have Have you heard our conspiracy theory about the uh, team store at Scott Trade Center? No, I haven't got a have you got a chance on that one yet? So <clears throat> Jeff Jones, who writes the front page for the Game Time paper, mm-hmm. and who also uh, tweets a lot and does a little bit of stuff on our website, uh, about a week after the trade, he went to the team store and he said, "Hey, uh, where's your uh, Paul Stasny clearance stuff?" Because he looked around the store and there wasn't anything. T-shirts, jerseys, pictures, whatever. And uh, and the people in the store looked around and they, I guess a couple people had asked and the manager said, oh, no, we we don't have anything. And I said, well, usually a guy gets traded and you see, a you know, T.J. Oshie gets traded and there's a whole clearance rack of yeah, stuff half price to move it. They they took all the Stasny stuff off and put it in a closet I don't know if that means that they think there's a chance or it's uh we'll put on clearance in the summer or they really think that there might be a plan for him to come back next, you know, next season. I don't know. It's an interesting conspiracy because that's not what they do. Shattenkirk gets traded and everything's half off with 22 on it. So why, why they didn't do that with Stasny and stuff. I don't know. It, it all depends on the dollar amount. You know, obviously he's not going to get $7 million again. On a good team, like the Winnipeg Jets, he's a third-line center. He played as a third-line center off and on during his Blues career. You know, his first season after he was injured, he ended up playing on the third line. He might have been the highest-paid third-line center in the National Hockey League. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that $2 million a year? Is that $3 million a year? Man, if, if, if you're talking north of $3 million, I'd pass. But, you know, if he wanted to come back for a year or two and he's your third-line guy and you got a, a legit number-one center – and your centers are that guy, if it's Tavares or whoever, Shen on the second line and Stasny on the third line. That's solid. That, that's pretty good. But it all depends on who else they got and how much money and, and wiggle room they have. Yeah, it depends on who they can dump salary-wise. And uh, I kind of think, and my theory is that after the press conference and uh, Doug Armstrong was fawning over Robert Thomas, I think they've kind of – in, internally, I think they'd really like him to grab that three C spot, depending on who what they do, obviously in the off season. But uh, I think they'd really like him to grab that spot, depending on uh, what they do. So here's the know. challenge. Here's the challenge with that, though. Of the four, the top four prospects, and you know, Tage Thompson is one of them, Clem Coaston, and then Jordan Cairo. Thomas and Coaston are the two youngest guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so to expect him to go straight from from juniors and he has another year of of junior eligibility if they don't think he's ready and want to send him back he has nothing left to prove i mean he had like what 110 112 points and yeah he was like six six yeah he's like third or fourth in the league so i mean and and his team's pretty good his team's still playing in the in the uh, the ohl playoffs so yeah he scored tonight actually yeah so but man that's a i mean that's a pretty big jump from from that i mean you know, granted, he, it'll be one year out of uh, after being drafted, and you know there are guys that make the jump um, in in their first year, but it's you know it's a small number. You gotta you gotta have some 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 pretty spectacular s- skills and maturity really to make that jump that first year. But you know, as a nineteen year old, maybe 
hell, you know, you look back at the last 15 years of the Blues, there's been plenty of 19 and 20 year olds that <laughs> have come up quickly and not seen the minor leagues and uh, basically been handed a, handed a starting job for life. So, yeah, yeah Fabry is probably the last one I can think of off the top of my head. Fabry, who had a year Dave, of OHL and then David Perron, Patrick Berglund. Yeah. I mean, TJ Oshie stayed a little bit longer in college, but he went straight from college to the NHL, didn't spend any time in the minors. So, yeah, there's been. There's been some examples for sure. Yeah, so it's interesting, uh, interesting offseason, which I'm looking forward to the draft this year and uh, free agency because I think they'll be extra active. Uh, so we'll get into the uh, kind of end here. The I've been asking three questions of everybody who's comes on, uh, so we'll get into those. Uh, first off, who is your who would be your team MVP for this season? Uh I mean, I I think it's got to be Braden Shen. I think. I mean, you know, the time that Schwartz missed and. He was not quite 100% when he came back. And, uh, I mean, if you, you know, if you think about if they had not made that trade, how much, how much more worse off the Blues would have been without him, I mean, it would be a night and day difference this past season. And they would not have been sniffing the playoffs. Correct. So I think, I think if you take it from that point of view, most valuable, I mean, if with, with him and without him, it's, uh, it's a huge difference. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, definitely that trade was, I think, kind of helped Armstrong make sure he solidified his uh, new contract. So, um, <laughs> uh, so the next one is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. Who would be or what is your biggest disappointment for this season? Well, it's got to be Jake Allen. And, you know, he was given the starter role. He was given the starter money and contract that kicked in this season. And then he crapped the bet again. And, you know, you, you mentioned Doug Armstrong's contract. It's funny, you know, we're pretty active on Twitter. And as the season ended and the, the week or two after the season ended, there were questions every single day, are they going to get rid of Armstrong? And I'm like, his new contract is, is just kicking in. Four so, years with no. an option for a fifth year. I mean, it's uh, – and the, the funny part is, and, and what I kind of – how I've described it, he he has not – managed for his job for a while he hasn't made any aggressive moves I mean I guess you could say that I mean I wouldn't even say the Braden Shen move was aggressive I mean if you think about the guy they dumped and and the money that they saved and you know they had to give up two first round picks I guess that part's aggressive but you know the Bo Meester trade at the at the trade deadline was aggressive the Ryan Miller trade was aggressive all the other things he's done you know signing Berglund to an extension. I don't. I don't know if that's aggressive. Yeah, bringing over Saboka, bringing, yeah. bringing Saboka back. I, I don't. He wanted to come back. I don't think that he gave him more money than he offered before. He gave him more money than Saboka was asking for when he left for the KHL, which I still don't understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but it, it's. Uh, the, it, I think it's part of that theme of being caught between a rebuild and being a contender trying to win today while not fully committing to win today because you're not willing to give up picks or prospects to go for it today, but then not selling off guys to build for tomorrow. It's I, when, when you're trying to win now and you're trying to win in the future, I don't think you're committed to either. And if you don't, if you don't commit to either, then do you really have a strategy to win? I, 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 uh, I I'm still looking to be convinced that they, they have a solid strategy. And if, if, bringing up two or three of those prospects and putting them on the lo- on, on the second or third or third and fourth or whatever, how you plug them into the lineup. If you bring up Kyrou and Thompson or Coaston or whoever, you keep Tage Thompson up. 
that's that's out of character for them in not spending to the cap because that's going to save you millions of dollars because those guys are going to make about a million dollars each, a little less. Uh, it's out of character, and and you know they got to sell some tickets for the uh, spiffy refurbished arena that's coming together. So, yeah. hey, did you see today we posted? Um, Season ticket holders got a poem. The, the poem in there? That was the strangest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> meet me at 14th and Clark. Yeah, that was, uh, I, I think you can uh, you can spend your time and allocate money a little differently than coming up with a poem and sending out the, <laughs> uh, I thought that was an interesting way to thank season ticket holders, I guess. I, 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 underst- I understand why. I don't, I don't think it was a good idea. I understand yeah. why. I'm sure a consultant or someone they talked to said, if you really want to grow your season ticket holder base, if you want to keep your season ticket holders and have them renew, you have to soak those emotional feelings about the team, about belonging, about yeah. romanticizing the team. But I don't think you create those feelings through poetry. I, my yeah, the poetry thing and the social media influencer thing kind of think, yeah, it's, those are two misfires on the season so far. Yeah, my, my favorite two lines from the poem, it talks about meeting, meet me on the banks of like hope and victory. And I said, well, the what's unsaid there is that it's a river of tears, like 51 <laughs> years of tears. Yeah. And then, and then it says something about the corner of innovation and renovation. And I said, well, they're obviously not talking about the the power play because it was neither innovative or renovated. Correct. Pretty awful at the end of the day. Though uh, uh, something from before we talk about the news conference. Uh, the main th- thing I think you, I'm thinking it was you. I'm hoping it was you on the uh, game time Twitter when Doug Armstrong talked about uh, that he paid attention to certain bloggers and other things that uh, they called out players in their contracts and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And then in two minutes, like literally in the middle, you just like, oh, hi, Doug. <laughs> so I thought that was great. So we always yeah, try to make sure we say hi to Doug when we record now, just to yeah, make sure in case absolutely. he does listen. He's paying attention. He said he he wants to know what the fans are thinking, and we're angry. And it, damn straight, we're angry. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was pretty great. So uh, by one, yeah. I, yeah. I, you know what? I think it's funny. You know, I, it's almost like he was being defensive. I don't go to blogs to get opinions on contract amounts or contract value. Well, maybe you should first of all. And, and and second of all, I mean, sensitive a little bit, Doug. I mean, do you feel like like maybe you put a target on your back by giving out some of the contracts that you have, some of the extensions you have, some of the no movement clauses that you have? I, I don't, I, I, I man, it's it to me, it's fair game, and it's it's really one of the biggest criticisms over several years of Blues hockey. Like, why does this guy have this contract? You know, I, I think. The year after Jay Bomeister signed his extension, it was a five-year deal. In mm-hmm. after year one, I said it was going to be a boat anchor on them, and it, it you know it prevented them to from ever offering a legitimate contract extension to Shattenkirk. Uh, you know, it's it's going to tie their hands where if if he could have been dumped or if he was healthy and they do a buyout this summer, that they could have two more than two and a half million dollars more, or if if they could have traded him somehow, or if he. You know, maybe he decides to retire or if, if he's on long-term IR, they could get all 5.3 million. But think about how crucial that 5.3 million would be to help reshaping this team now, especially if they go after John Tavares, you know, hot and heavy. Yeah. So, and 
Yeah, that's a couple of contracts that are definitely questionable. So I thought uh, that was funny. So I uh, wanted to, and the last one is, so speaking of Doug Armstrong, uh, I've been asking people if you were Doug Armstrong for a day or if you could do one move in the offseason. Uh, obviously, I said fantasy or close to realistic as you could to make it. Uh, what would you do? Uh, jokes from the top of my head is uh, acquiring American because he, he uh, you know, he's an assistant general manager and or is involved with uh, Hockey Canada and, you know, I, other than Zach Sanford, I think Zach Sanford is the only American on the roster right now. <clears throat> and before that, it was, you know, him and Paul Stasny. And Paul Stasny was like a naturalized American, kind of. I mean, yeah. uh, I, I don't think he was born in the United States, but, you know, kind of grew up in the United States and played for Team USA. Um, so, maybe you know, maybe Max Pacioretty, but, you know, because he's an American and they could use a, a winger. I I would try to find... You know, I, I'm not going to touch the Tavares thing. I'm on. I'm totally on board. I I think there's at least a 50-50 shot. Uh, but man, going to live in wine country and play for the Sharks does sound kind of appealing to me. Um, so beyond that, uh, a right winger. They have been low, uh, shorthanded. I mean, unskilled. After you get past 91 on the right wing, it has been a wasteland for multiple years. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's been a position where I, I think they have neglected to address. And I don't know if it was a money thing, if it was uh, resources, you know, not wanting to give up picks or prospects, or they just couldn't develop another right winger. But man, they, they need right wingers uh, out, you know, they need a couple. So if they could, if they could find a, a, a good right winger and not even like an all-star, but they could find a good right winger, it would go a long way to helping with how the roster is put together. Oh, and, and I guess maybe a left-handed shooting defenseman, but I think they're, they've gotten a couple more of those. But it's it you know so every kid in Canada and kid in Europe grows up shooting left-handed, and they couldn't find more than one or two left-handed shooting defensemen to to, to ice in the NHL. I they're like the only team in the league that is short on left-handed shooting guys on defense. It's crazy. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I kind of think the Blues. One guy pointed out, which I would think uh, the team is, might need to shake up, is Anaheim. And I kind of like Jakob Silverberg, I think, is mm-hmm. a guy that I'd be interested in. He has one year left at 3.7. Uh, I don't know what they would do, but he'd be a solid number two right behind uh, Tarasenko. And he plays uh, good defensively, which this team loves two-way wingers. But uh, yeah. Silverberg has speed, and he actually has a shot. So, Well, and uh, the Ducks are the Ducks are prime for a rebuild because they've got – they got a lot of money tied up in Getzloff and Perry, and they're definitely slowing down. And I, I think I think the Ducks are kind of due for a facelift. So I I don't know if he is, if Silverberg is the type of guy that you'd say, look, we can start rebuilding around this type of guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I I don't I don't see him as that kind of guy. He's a complimentary piece, mm-hmm. not not kind of a cornerstone piece, which would mean that maybe if they're looking for picks or prospects or whatever that that could be a guy that they could, you know, definitely pry away. I, I think that's a good call. Yeah. Uh, then other guy I'm calling an overpayment. If they do go after somebody, let's say Tavares doesn't work out. I kind of thought, uh, uh, James Van Riemsdyk seems like a, I'm going to get overpaid by the St. Louis blues guy. Yeah. It's, uh, I like, yeah. and I like him. That's the thing is, but I like overpaid is like $7 million guy. Like it, it, it comes to me like an Andrew Ladd type guy where he, where it's like, he's a good solid four to 5 million guy. But when you get into that seven million dollar range, it's a little too much for me. Well, even just make the comparison to a homegrown guy like David Backus. You know, plays with some size, pretty good on the power play, has a little bit of grittiness to him. 
and, and they definitely had overpaid during his career, I think, a little bit. You know, he did have, you know, one or two really, really good goal-scoring years, but then his usage kind of changed, and he was kind of used as a shutdown guy sometimes, and they moved him to center for a while, and, uh, you know, they paired him with Alexander Seen, and they kind of played against the other team's top line. So, you know, you can kind of see some comparisons with how how uh, JVR plays. So it, it could be a, a thing where, you know – in the past they were willing to give that type of player money and maybe they would do it again. Yeah. And it's, there has been an undercurrent on blues Twitter of people saying, just wait, just wait. Uh, Tavares won't work. And he's going to be uh, bachelor. Number two, bachelor. Number one is going to walk off the set and bachelor. Number two is going to be uh, that guy up in Toronto and, and the blues are going to fall head over heels. I, I, I could see it happening. I, I mean, yeah, I had to see it happening. He, year, the, he, he picked a good, a good year. year to have a, yeah, he picked the contract year, a good year to have a, a good year offensively, that's for sure. Yeah, so it's interesting to see what happens. So uh, we'll wrap it up there. So if people want to get a hold of you and get a hold of uh, – try to figure out a way to get a hold of the Game Time magazine, uh, whatever, paper, yeah. magazine, you know. You know what I said. <laughs> Publication. What Publication. Yeah, what I'm trying to say. So uh, let them know where they can get all that. Call, call us a newsletter. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> you, can, uh, you can find us on Twitter, at uh, SC Lewis Game Time. Uh, follow us on there. We have we. I've been making lots of jokes. I uh, I I'm pretty proud. In the last round, I called Pecorine falling apart against the Jets, and it's man, I think he's falling apart. I think he's falling apart against the Jets. Yeah. Uh, this game's nothing, nothing right now, but it, he'll probably allow four or five. Uh, yeah. Or you can email me, uh, send me an email, gtbradley at gmail, gtbradlee at gmail, and I can hook you up with the paper. It's uh. It's the weirdest hobby ever. Uh, 24 pages, uh, unique content we don't put on our website that we update for every game. And uh, it, it really is uh, – there's nothing else like us. There used to be a fan run paper that was updated every game in Chicago, and that guy gave it up. Uh, when, when the Blues eliminated the Blackhawks in the first round in seven games, that was the last time he put the paper out. So wow. I, I, don't, I don't know if we feel responsible or not. I kind of take credit for that. The only other thing there's a, there's one with the Maple Leafs. This guy's been doing it off a copier. He doesn't even he doesn't like Microsoft Word and he photocopies it. He doesn't even like print it and it's not stapled. And he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't monthly. Oh, so, so not even every game. So no, it's monthly. So there literally there is nothing else like us in the NHL. Yeah. So uh, I, it's definitely like a huge resource for Blues fans. And uh, like I said, like I try to look around the best I can, but um, I kind of think the Blues don't utilize what they have uh, fair fan base when it comes to uh, like game time. There's blogs, and I mean, there and then you know they can say they're snippy or whatever the hell you want to say, but there's a lot of people who put in a lot of time and a lot of really good stats and understand a lot what's going on with the team. And there's other teams. I think like Columbus had a social media night where they had they invited. Um, like podcast and blogs to the game. And then they had like tables set up and they were able to have, um, you know, fans come up and like, you know, try to get them more traffic and help them spread the word on the team. Like, you know, like we all are doing this because we love the team. Like I understand, I don't understand why they have a lot of freeze out when it comes to like trying to get a media pass and stuff like that to help spread the word. Like it's one me, like, you know, we do it for fun and we, you know, it's something that we do. We talk about it anyway. So we just turn on microphones and that just that way other people get to listen to it. Here's if things had turned out differently, Jim Woodcock had been in charge of uh, PR and I think marketing 
for the Blues for a long time. And then when they, um, around the time of the season-long lockout, maybe before that, he he either moved on or there was a relationship or something. I don't know. He left the team. He's with Fleischman Hillard. And he actually does a lot of stuff for Shad Khan in the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I think he, I think they have a contract to do PR for U.S. Men's National Soccer Team. So like he was, he was in South Africa the last time uh, there was the the World Cup, and he he went over uh, to England when the Jaguars played over there, and he's in Jacksonville during the football season and stuff. That guy is completely supportive of stuff like what you and I both do. Uh, the guy that ran the, that started the fan run paper in '95, Jeffio, he did it for ten years. He was on a first name basis with Jeffio and would meet up with him and would kind of. He even offered him a press pass um, and access and stuff, stuff that we haven't been offered. Um, if 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 Woody had had stayed with the team, I kind of think their approach would be different. And it really is. If you try to reach out to them, it's a little bit of a brick wall where they have a policy. They don't credential bloggers. They don't credential podcasts. They they even had a hard time uh, a couple years ago in the playoffs when. Um, uh, Bill Simmons' uh, website with not the Ringer, but with ESPN, Grantland. Grantland they had yeah. uh, K- Katie Katie Baker was uh, writing NHL stuff, and they had an ESPN reporter covering it for ESPN.com, and then she wanted to come and cover it too. And they said, "Well, we only uh, are going to credential one person from ESPN, and she's kind of technically a blogger anyway." So they turned her press pass down. I mean, that's. That's the mindset right there of the guys that run the access where they they they're never going to be in favor of that kind of stuff. They're never going to be in favor of having a relationship with the paper or our website or your guys podcast or or any of the people that are out there doing good stuff. And, I you know, I got to say the last couple of years, you know, it it's weird. Like, you know, so we've had the paper. Our website's been around since 2006. We've been affiliated with SB Nation since 2008. We had press passes for the Winter Classic through SB Nation and through the NHL, not through the Blues. If the Blues ever make the Stanley Cup Finals, we are guaranteed a press pass through SB Nation and the NHL. It's, it's the, parent league, yeah. the parent league is open to stuff like we do, but the team isn't. It's, it's, it's insane. Yeah, it's very odd. So, um, like I said, uh, Game Time Magazine, paper, newsletter, whatever you like to say. <laughs> Uh, is fantastic and you do a great job. So thank you for continuing Thanks, to do that. And uh, it's definitely something that I super enjoy as a fan. Uh, and I know a lot of other people do. So I, I appreciate it, Jason. Thank you. All right. So we'll wrap it up there. Thanks a lot. And uh, we'll talk again before the season starts and do a season preview coming up. So we'll see how Absolutely. things go. All right. Thanks. Anytime. I appreciate it. Anytime.